All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by the doctor amongst men, Duncan Joyce. How's things going, Dunk? Good to hear you, Lee. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, it's been, been a, a nice little stretch uh, since we last met up. Um, went to see WWE Live and then decided, actually, I want to cancel my network now. It was like 84 quid for tickets, so if I'm going to try and get Vince McMahon out of pocket, I need to be off the network about nine months out of 12. Totally fair. I, um, I've i been really disillusioned with WWE this year, and I just found myself, I don't think, other than possibly the Royal Rumble, I've not watched a single show all year, and we're in December, so that should tell you pretty much my feelings, but I just can't commit to sort of watching enough shows in one block to cancel and, and re-up it so i'll keep the network but i won't watch any modern stuff and i'm certainly not putting any other money into their coffers in any other way right now no i it's the releases that left a bad taste in my mouth like um we went we went on a whim because the cards looked really good and the tickets were a very reasonable price considering how much arena ticketing has totally exploded in the last couple of years um so it was it was good fun overall for a couple of dickheads well there were like three or four dickheads but um it was it was still all right i actually wound up having the inspiration to do a blog post on it as well you can go to ayatollahrockandroller.blogspot.com and, and read up all about my adventures there there you go go and check that one out what was the main event out of curiosity it was Charlotte defending the women's title against Sasha Banks. Oh, there you go. That could be worse. It was a quality main event. They really seemed to take pride in the fact that they were headliners and they needed to deliver a, a really good match. Awesome. Well, on the on the subject of um, what we're here to talk about and the network, we're actually going to review the October 7, 99 episodes of Thunder and Smackdown, getting back on our usual path. Um, first recording for me in a while, actually, Duncan, in total, but I've got a few more in the pipeline now that I've actually got my laptop set back up. Um, I, I think I said this off air, but I'm mid-house move and have most of my stuff packed away, so I'll try and catch back up over December. Everyone bear with me a little bit. Um, did you enjoy these two? shows out of curiosity dunk Mm, well we've certainly had better pairs of shows i'll put it that way for now indeed which one did you watch first (laughs) i went with thunder first as well in my usual good boy scout routine eat my vegetables before me mate (laughs) um well we'll head over into thunder in just a second but just out of curiosity for everyone thunder in this week's episode drew a 1.9 versus smackdown's 4.4 so it shows you how like the, the difference in class between the two shows at this point in time um won't spoil whether or not that's reflected in the shows but we'll head over under thunder and start discussing them how does that sound dunk (laughs) <laughs> pretty big gulf thunder sounds slightly up from last time um i don't know what they did to do that it seems kind of odd as well because this is the same venue as last week so my guess is this is a recorded show and not a live show well thank god the internet wasn't as prevalent as it is now because if people had read about this show i don't think they'd be watching it oh lord 
So Thunder starts out with the commentary team of Mike Tanay and Larry Zabisco, who I actually don't mind as a team. They're starting to grow on me a little bit, Duncan. They're very inoffensive. Tanay promised us two solid hours of action, which seems more of a threat than anything. <clears throat> and he has to show as a knight of champions because there's three title matches. And we kick off with... Um... With Blitzkrieg taking on Dean Malenko. I didn't make a note here. Is this um, Dean Malenko? Is he the Cruiserweight champion? Is this one of the title matches? Or have I completely messed my order up? This is not a title match. We'll get to that. The following match uh, is the Cruiserweight title match. And that's another interesting pre-tape situation. Oh, yep, yep, yep. It is. Um, Blitzkrieg and Dean Malenko, they start with some chain wrestling. And it's right off the bat in the first match that this is the worst canned crowd noise of any show I've ever watched. It's it's really obnoxious. How quickly did it take you, Duncan, to, to get offended by this? Um, after the early sort of goings, really, I, I was kind of wrapped up in this match because they were really good wrestlers, but um, after Blitzkrieg started to get a few flips in, I was pondering... Are we in the Thunderdome or something? What is with all this crowd noise? Yeah, it was just, it was like for the whole two-hour broadcast, the crowd was hot. And that's just not the case at any wrestling show ever. But it's just that white noise of crowds, like they're about to erupt for something, but nobody's making any movement or sound in the crowd. It's really obnoxious. But anywho, we'll we'll carry on through the matches. So Dean Malenko starts with a bit of a beatdown in the corner um, before Blitzkrieg hits a nice step-up drop kick and a standing moonsault for a two. Malenko hits his lovely gut buster for a two. Um, this is a good, quick, fast-paced match that's ruined by the sound. Dean Malenko hits a super back suplex and then the double underhook into the Texas Cloverleaf. Um, if you've ever played any of the WCW Nintendo 64 games, that was probably how you finish matches off with Malenko, and he picks up the submission victory. Top-quality opener. Easily the most likeable match we've had on Thunder so far. Really impressive range of counters from both men and some great aerial offense from Blitzkrieg. At one point, he did a springboard sky-twisting moonsault to the outside, and then there was this really impressive sequence where the handspring elbow got blocked to a reverse suplex, and then he escaped and still did a drop kick. This was nice, nice stuff. Um, I'd probably recommend this, actually. Blitzkrieg's a bit of a, a one who got away in terms of wrestling, I think. Yeah, I could agree with that. Um, from there, we go to a recap of Disco Inferno actually picking up the Cruiserweight titles. So apologies for my misspeak earlier. Um, beating Psychosis with the Stunner, which is known as the Last Dance. I thought they called this one like the Chart Buster. I wonder if they changed that name later on or if I've just remembered that wrong. No, Chart Buster does sound like a, a wrestling maneuver at some point. It, it probably got changed. Today, at some point... Uh, hyped that on this show we've got an exclusive interview with Bret Hart um, and they're going to show highlights of his Owen Hart tribute match as well and apparently the outsiders have re-emerged on Nitro interesting the Bret Hart thing um, I wasn't sure where to make note of this during the show but like uh, on the way to commercial breaks they'd show like a you know a five second clip of him talking Um, nothing really noteworthy until later on in the show when they show the recap which we will talk about then 
Disco Inferno here comes out for his first title defense, and he's given the Jopper entrance against Evan Courageous, who gets a full entrance. Um, it's pretty, pretty poor, that, I guess. Yeah, a.k.a. the we taped this before we knew he was winning the title edit. Yep. Um, we get some chain wrestling and then a gr- courageous drop kick, a pair of them, an outside brawl, a neckbreaker from the Disco Inferno before Courageous hits a roll-up for a two, springboard crossbody for a two, and a power slam for a two before Disco comes back with the last dance, a.k.a. the stunner for the one, two, three, picking up the victory. What did you think about this one? I found it inoffensive, but not great. Much more pedestrian than the opener, certainly. It was kind of appropriate that you were getting mixed up about which one's going to be the title match. You watch this match and compare it to the opener, and you're kind of scratching your head who's making the decisions of who should be champ and who should be in the title picture. Oh, absolutely. Blitzkrieg versus Malenko was much more, you know, your trademark quality WCW Cruiserweight Championship matchup. This one here is much more by the numbers. Oh, no. Production. Sorry, go on. They boob. Production boobed yet again. Um, they actually showed a replay of Disco coming out to the ring, doing slow mo dancing, and you can see he's coming out without the title. So their jobber edit at the start was all for naught. Oh, I missed that. You <laughs> legend for spotting that one. I completely missed it. Um, speaking of the entrances, what was your um, opinion on Evan Courageous's Backstreet Boys get up on his entrance? <laughs> it was the style at the time. <laughs> um, we go backstage where we see Berlin speaking in German to Brad Armstrong, who basically tells him not to speak in German. Brad Armstrong trying to come across like, you know, a bit of a Stone Cold Steve Austin character. I don't think I'm going to buy it. But um, the highlight of this for me was Berlin's sideburns. So he's got a completely like a, a shaved head into a mohawk, but there are just two small stripes for sideburns not connected to any other hair. It was um, it just looked like he had a piece of Velcro down each side of his head. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, B.A. being all, I thought this was America in this segment here. Yeah, we'll see how that pans out. <laughs> um... um. We got lots of cruiserweight action, and something Larry was talking about earlier caught my attention. He he was saying something about, oh, you know, there used to be all these cruiserweights that were getting carried out on stretchers before the division got created. Mm, I don't really recall that. I think his... Like, he's trying to say, like, oh, they couldn't wrestle anyone of the appropriate size, so they were getting put in with big lads and getting murdered. But that kind of makes them sound shit, really, because, you know, they're they're supposed to be great wrestlers of their own merit, so why wouldn't they be able to beat a bigger guy? Yeah, I think this is one of the standout things about wrestling for me, is until they allow other weight division matches to main event and be the spotlight segment, they'll always be less than if you're smaller, and it's just something wrestling's never really tried to address, I guess. 
From there, we go to Brad Armstrong versus Chris Adams, who's no longer the gentleman. Mike Tanay, make sure to tell us that a few times. Um, this one starts out with a lot of stalling, and then it's a very basic match. Some arm drags from Brad Armstrong before Chris Adams powders again. Um, more stalling. My notes here just say this really sucks. Uh, Chris Adams' top rope clothesline <laughs> gets a two. Uh, a back suplex gets a two. And... Um, Larry Zabisco pretty much finds a way to eloquently put what I've just uh, said there when he says that Chris Adams doesn't waste a lot of movement. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, he doesn't. You know, he doesn't really get up off his ass to do much. <laughs> if Larry Zabisco doesn't think you move much, you're probably in rewind. <laughs> uh, he finishes the match with a Russian leg sweep for the one, two, three. This was a real dud, in my opinion. What about you, Duncan? Yeah, I almost felt like somebody 22 years in the past overheard me call the previous match pedestrian and was like, oh, you want pedestrian, do you? Here you fucking go. <laughs> it's not um, it's not Frankie Lancaster offensive, but it's certainly not something I'd ever watch again. No, totally forgettable. A couple of bumps by Adams were the only noteworthy thing where you know, he actually looked like he was making an effort. Um at the start of this, I was pondering, okay, how's BA going to be xenophobic to this lad? And he didn't really try anything. So. No. Uh, pretty. Not much to talk about here. Um, so we go to our next matchup, which is Brian Nobbs taking on Chris Benoit for the TV title, which Benoit holds, not Nobbs. Benoit with a nice drop kick before they do some typical knobs outside brawling, followed by some crowd brawling. Um, Jimmy Hart knocks Chris Benoit off the top, um, and that allows knobs to pick up a two count. Um, he hits a couple of slams and an avalanche before Benoit, after the second or third attempt, locks in a German suplex that makes it a double. Jimmy Hart makes a save on the pin, but Benoit manages to regroup and go up top for the top rope headbutt for the one, two, three. This was um, a real mishmash of styles. It's sort of like the first half of the match was for knobs and the second half of the match was for Benoit, but it was inoffensive and I, I didn't mind this, although, you know, it's nothing to write home about. No, it's kind of only natural that, for the most part, Benoit was stuck wrestling Nobbs match rather than the other way around. The crowd ball raised a couple of titters, but maybe not for the reasons that they were after. Um, there was a the chair getting thrown in and um, and stuff. Was, I'm pondering, why is there no DQ here? And then the TV cables are kind of uh, unfortunate in, in modern eyes. They're very good at insulting the audience's intelligence again here, though. They cut to the break during the crowd brawl, and then when they returned from break, the lads were stood in the exact same spot in the crowd that they were before. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Tanay gave us a scoop. Benoit and Brett are going to tag together on Nitro next week. Brett was, uh, sorry, Benoit was Brett's opponent in the Owen Hart tribute match. Um, Tanay also makes a very obvious point that Nobbs is a very different wrestler to Brett Hart. <laughs> Though they do share a WrestleMania match together. That is true, yes. Did you hear Larry as well speculating how Nobbs got this title match? No. He was like, well, you know, I reckon they probably just gave him a title shot just to get him out of the office. <laughs> I've, I've got to be honest, by about this point in the show, I was pretty drunk. 
<laughs> oh, brother. Just you wait till next week, mate. Oh, no, I am. Um, honestly, like, probably since the um, the show that was just the recap show, I think I've been really struggling to get through Thunder, and I think this time I thought, oh, I'll just have a few drinks. That'll, that'll make it watchable. It didn't really help. <laughs> Well, there there is somebody who makes an appearance on next week's show that seems to take the same exact attitude that you've taken at this one. Like. Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> From there we go to um, Silver King versus Lash LaRue. Um, it's notable here that we're not really getting many promos or segments. I think you're right about it being taped that it's, um, it's just a bunch of canned matches being put on. Um, Silver King starts with a spinning DDT. Lash Larue hits a Hurricane Rana. Silver King a power bomb for two, and the crowd uh, going people like the the crowd noise is of the crowd going crazy. While I'm clearly watching people get up from their seats and go for a beer, <laughs> they brawl. Totally, yeah. At one point, I saw the seats opposite the hard cam had really seriously emptied out during this match. Yeah, and it it sounds as though, like, it's Austin coming out for WrestleMania 17. (laughs) They brawl along the outside before we get a really badly botched drop toe hold. Um, Silver King drops to the floor to to, to drop toe hold, sorry, on Lash LaRue, who didn't read the spot and just holds under the ropes. It looked really poor. Lash LaRue then comes back with a variation of a TKO for the 1-2-3 on another bang average match that did nothing for me. I thought this was a little more like it compared to Disco's match. There were some actually decent spots here, like a good Hurricane Rana from um, Lash, um, but it was still really hard to engage with, and I don't think it was obvious who you were supposed to root for in this match. Yeah, I think that's what takes me out of it. There's just clearly no star power in a lot of these Thunder matches now, and without there being an obvious star at either end of the match, it's it's really difficult for me to engage with it. It's like, if these guys aren't good enough for Nitro and aren't good enough for a pay-per-view, why should I sit and watch them? Yeah, it would help if people wrestled with a clear story, so you can say, oh, okay, here's, here's the good guy, here's the bad guy, but they just seem to wrestle for the sake of wrestling. Yeah, if you compare these two guys to an Al Snow or a D'Lo Brown... Um, on SmackDown, it's night and day between the people you should care about and the people you shouldn't. We then go to the rebirth of Lex Luger, where he's going to be known only as a total package. Um, this is like a you know late nineties, early two thousands techno version of the WBF WWF unveiling <laughs> with lots of splice video, um, and then going to him you know, posing and Liz with sort of like something over a face and then removing it to reveal that it's Liz. Um, it was a little bit weird, but ba- the, the basic gist of it is we're not to call him Lex Luger anymore. He's to be referred to as the total package. Unveiling of the new total package. 
This rebirth brings us a brand new total package. The man is bigger than ever. The biceps, the deltoids, the trapezius. This rebirth brings us a brand new total package. Total repackage here is <laughs> kind of unnerving. <laughs> like this whole um, this whole revolves around a, a video shoot that's like a mock funeral for Lex Luger. Um, like say Liz was in a shawl, and then Lex Luger's ghost dumps flowers on his own coffin. Yeah, it was it was very surreal, and um, you know, I don't think I got the vibe they were putting down. I understood what they were going for, but it just didn't work for me. It's a, a bit too jarring in a world where, like, genuine early deaths of wrestlers are, are totally a thing. The only um, bit of levity was Heenan during the pose down clips. Uh, you could hear him say, "He's bigger than ever." Yeah, I think that's what gave me the um, the WWF debut vibes was Heenan in the background. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you're totally right. This is like. The new millennium version of the narcissist, basically. Rucified. Yeah. Um, we then go to our next matchup, which is Dale Torborg versus the Maestro. Talk about your star power here. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, yeah. According to Tanay, it's both men's debut, but then he talks about... Oh, we saw the Maestro the other day. He came down from the ceiling and he was playing the piano. So I guess he means in-ring debut. Yep. <laughs> um, Dale Torborg here looks a little bit like... Um, he, he's come out with like red face paint and baseball gear. He looks like um, the illegitimate love child of Wolfpack Sting and Abe Knuckleball Schwartz. Yeah, Tanay uh, says that we... We should actually call him MVP, the most violent player. Yep, definite rip-off of Abe. <laughs> Abe the goon, Stingle, rolled into one. All of them, yeah. Do you know um, Dale Torberg's most famous gimmick? Though? The Kiss Demon. Indeedy doody, yeah. So this, um, from what I understand, this is the gimmick that Torberg ran with um, on the independent circuit and... I can't. I'm not sure if I got my time frame right. I'm not sure if he'd already been the demon at one point, and he's transitioning back into this because the kiss thing wasn't working out, and then they had to kind of haul him back into that gimmick because the, their contract with Kiss promised a main event matchup, so they just booked him on a pay per view and they build it as a main event match, even though it was like the third one on the card. A whole cluster. It's funny, actually. I've, um, Dale Torborg as the Kiss Demon, I think, redebuted in the world of wrestling in the last couple of weeks. I've obviously watched this show to review with you, and I was watching OSW Review yesterday and saw him come out dressed like Kona Crush as a mechanic. Um, so, yeah, the whole thing was just... I've had enough Dale Torborg this month to last me a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, he's shown up in Impact Wrestling. I think there was a... Uh... Not a gauntlet for the gold match. Uh, it's like a fight for call your shot, um, like battle royal or something, and he turned up in that. And um, I think he's done a couple of other tapings after that, actually. Interesting. Um, 
this match, as I said, completely devoid of any star power for me at this point in time. Um, the maestro, this is hilarious, comes out and he does the Ric Flair gimmick where he tells the referee to hold the ropes for him and the referee is fucking having none of it. He does not budge. That is as jobberific <laughs> as it gets. <laughs> you can't even tell the referee what to do. Jesus. This is like the time Mr. Kennedy was, uh, Mr. Anderson was trying to get a fan to sit up and nick his nick their chair so that he could use it as a, as a weapon and the fan just wouldn't sit up and it was just like all right then. <laughs> it was terrible um we get strikes and basic moves before dale torborg hits a choke slam um and it's it's kind of like a choke slam cross with a rock bottom for the one two three um interesting move but yeah the match was an absolute dud once again a new Nadir for the night here. Who were we supposed to be interested in here? This just nobody. <laughs> we go to Ant. I'm surprised you didn't go on the Hammerlock scale. <laughs> I, I, th- I think I probably just had too many drinks to think of it. To be honest with you, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the one thing I'll say about all these matches is none of them were so long that I got really angry. It, I was. My anger probably happened during the entrances as opposed to during the matches this time around. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a few moments where someone was coming out and was just like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> Especially the maestro here. This is uh, this is a character I strongly associate with them. And uh, having Saturday night overtake Thunder as a priority. Yeah, he's... um. Not good. <laughs> That's the nicest thing I can <laughs> no. say. Um, we then go to the Filthy Animals, Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman taking on Disorderly Conduct, and at least one team in this match has some sort of redeeming qualities. Uh, disorderly Conduct jump them early, and it's really jarring. This is unmasked Ray, but he's also wearing like a, a black jumpsuit, and he just looks like a mechanic to me. <laughs> <laughs> Kidman has some really good offense where he has one of the heels in a side headlock and the other one comes in. So whilst holding onto the headlock, he hits him with a backdrop, then a head scissors, and then a bulldog, also without releasing the headlock on the first member. That was a really cool spot. Yeah, class. The, the faces in this match do a really good job of, of getting their spots in and, and trying to get some energy into the crowd. Yeah, Mike Tanay comments on it later, actually, basically saying that the, the match is better for, for the animals when they can keep the, the movement going, which alludes to how slow the opposition are. Um, <laughs> we get a nice runner from Ray, but then unfortunately he goes for his, um, you know, like his wheelbarrow bulldog and it gets blocked into a face buster and the heels take over for a little while. Tough Tom with a power slam and Mike off the top with a shoulder block for a two. We go to a commercial. When we come back, the heels are still beating down Ray. And it's interesting here, Duncan, that Billy Kidman breaks up pinfalls three times, like no one breakup rule. And it, it makes Ray look pretty weak as well. Yeah, I... WCW, who were at some point such a stickler for the rules that they decided a toss over the top rope should be a disqualification, don't seem to care about tag team wrestling rules. I quite liked a couple of the manoeuvres disorderly conduct we're hitting on Ray here, but it's probably going on a little bit too long. And you know I was mentioning how, oh yeah, the the baby faces will get the crowd into this. It was around about this point that I noticed the entire upper deck of the arena is practically cleared out. (laughs) They've had enough. 
<laughs> we get a hot tag, I assume, with the crowd noise to Billet Kid Manu here. <laughs> 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 Who hits a sky high and then um, the other member of Disorderly Conduct tries to powerbomb Billy Kidman. And what happens when you try and powerbomb Billy Kidman? And you, you end up on your face. I just, in my notes, I just call that move, don't powerbomb Billy Kidman. <laughs> oh, Rey Mysterio hits the Bronco Buster, which in WCW is called the Rough Rider. And then Billy Kidman shoots him into a top rope Hurricane Rana for the one, two, three. I put, uh, I know you liked Blitzkrieg and Malenko, but I thought this was the best thing on the show, but it just had a little bit too much of the heel team for me. But otherwise, a, a decent match, which redeemed sort of the middle of the show here. Yeah, it's a, a real shot in the arm that the show needed. And to be honest, it really could have done with this match earlier in the show. There was a nice energy at the start. The heels actually had some interesting double teams, even though the heat probably went on a little bit too long. And then the comeback for the finish was good too. Yeah, Ray and Kidman are a great team and they're the kind of team that you want on like a kind of secondary show like this. I'm now going to splice in some of the recap of, um, narrated by Bret Hart of his match with Chris Benoit. I think he rambles a little bit and goes on a, bit, a little bit too long, but I'll let everyone listen here and be the judge. There's only one guy that could have wrestled me tonight. Only one person. There's only one guy that, that Owen loved as much as me, like a brother would be Chris Benoit. And that's why it was equally important for me to have Harley race. Uh, introduced us in the ring. It meant a lot to me. I know it meant a lot to Chris because we were both kids one time when Harley Race was uh, the greatest wrestler on the planet. And you watched him and you watched him and you said, that's the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be right there, Harley Race. And you go all these years later and have Harley Race introducing two Canadian boys that never dreamed they'd wrestle in the United States and, and be the stars that they are in the world of wrestling. doesn't get any better now. I have tremendous respect for Chris Benoit. I wouldn't have chosen him to, to, to wrestle with me here tonight. You can get past Chris Benoit. And if you can go the distance with him or, or just carry yourself all the way through in a match with him, you're carrying yourself uh, with the, one of the best in the world. And you know, No matter what had happened tonight, win or lose, I, I wanted to be able to carry the match. But I think you know, it was the best thing for me to do. If you can get past Chris Benoit, you know, that means you're ready for guys like Hogan or Goldberg or, or any of them. What's next for Bret Hart? Um, a difference. You're going to see a difference in Bret Hart. You're going to see, you're going to see the reason why I came to the WCW in the first place. I'm going to make a difference if it takes everything I got to do to prove that. And everyone listening there would have caught the thing that I think would have popped Duncan the most, and that's Bret Hart's version of the WCW. Yes! <laughs> yeah, um, you mentioned him rambling. I suppose they don't really have a creative direction for him. They're just trying to get him out wrestling again and feeling positive about wrestling. Um, and... Um, this is kind of like a, a, a therapeutic moment for him and his attitude and in terms of his career, you know, he's, um, he talks about gaining the fresh start, um, not just for him, but for the fans who he, you know, 
does it hold um, any blame over as far as Owen's passing goes? Yeah, no, overall Brett comes across quite likeable here, but probably just needed a bit more editing or to be a tiny bit shorter. We then go to our main event. It's Stevie Ray versus Sid. Yes, you've heard that right. Stevie Ray is the Thunder main event, which should tell you where we're at for the, the priority level of this show. Um, and I don't dislike Stevie Ray, but just just no way he should be main eventing in a title match on, on one of your two main shows. Um, first, Sid's w, uh, US title, sorry. Stevie Ray jumps it early. Um, they brawl along the outside, and it's not far in when Rick Steiner comes out to side with Sid. Um, his distraction gets Sid a big boot on Stevie Ray, and then Stevie Ray goes to the floor where Steiner beats him down for a while, including a pretty sick DDT on the mats. He rolls him back in, and Sid picks up a two. He locks in a chin lock, which I don't really know why. The match hadn't been going long and didn't require a rest spot, but whatever. Um, he has an actual lay down on the mat during this chin lock as well, which just enraged me. <laughs> oh, no. um, Stevie Ray has a little comeback with a backdrop and a clothesline, but Charles Robinson bends down to tie his shoe, ignoring Rick Steiner coming in and double teaming. They hit a double team power bomb for the one, two, three, and Charles Robinson holds up a sign declaring Sid 128-0 and as we go off the air on a dreadful episode of Thunder. Mm, this is a very basic match. Stevie not really doing anything more complicated than a scoop slam. At the very least, there's some measure of continuity by booking this match because a couple of weeks back, Stevie was beaten up by Sid and Rick backstage and Booker had to wrestle as a singles guy instead. Although, having said that, where was Booker here? Yeah, this just... um, It just did nothing for me, to be perfectly honest. No, like you say, like I was talking earlier about Sasha and Charlotte on the live show having a, a duty as headliners to leave the fans with something of quality. There was no quality to be had in this main event. That'll do it for Thunder. We'll now have our usual halftime break. I'm midst house move at the moment and haven't really invested into any sort of movies or watched or read anything of note. Have you got anything um, in particular that, that you've done recently that's worth a mention for the halftime segment? I'm not sure about recently, but I was um, browsing the merchandise stand when I was at the WWE live show. It was dominated pretty much by wrestlers who weren't there on the show. Um, and it just got me thinking, what's the last wrestling t-shirt that you ever bought? Oh, that's a great question. I think, I want to say the last wrestling shirt I bought was the NWO Cross DX shirt that Sean Waltman sells at live events. And I think he's probably worn it at a few public appearances. Um, basically just bought it because... I really like X-Pac and it was a good opportunity for me to go up to his gimmick table and talk to him and had a photo with him and all that. And he was a really, really cool guy in person. I think anybody who's listened to X-Pac in recent years probably picks up on that, but it was a genuinely nice experience for me. Um, what about you, Duncan? What was the last wrestling shirt that you bought? That's really cool. Mine, I got 
Daniel Bryan's uh, y- yes, like um, like tree T-shirt on clearance before he went over to AEW because um, like Bryan Daniels is one of my favorite wrestlers. Bag, I knew it? going over to AEW, it was like over a half off or something. I also wanted uh, you know the blue one that's made out of uh, recycled bottles. Yeah. I wanted that one as well, but they only had it in like two XL or something like that. Even though they um, had it at like a, a better price than the uh, the tree one, which was like the most recent one. But yeah, I knew going to AEW that pro wrestling tees would wind up being responsible for his merch and their shit basically. So I wanted to nab something of his from WWE before they cleared everything out. I've never actually ordered. Yeah. I've never ordered off pro wrestling tees. Have you had some bad experiences with them? I just go off their rep online. They had some uh, rather unfriendly and unhelpful comments during the rioting a couple of years back. And the quality of the shirts is not really up to scratch from what I hear, like in terms of comfort and um, the the printing, uh, longevity, and things like that. Fair enough. Um, actually, a little side note. I have um, ordered just today on eBay. I, I bit the bullet. I've been holding off for a while. I've been trying not to order any packages since we're moving, but I was like, oh, the hell with it. I'll just get, I've got the mail redirected now. I'm going to give it a go. I got the Zodiac Elite figure on order. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes! No. <laughs> yes! <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're um, telling me about getting the Daniel Bryan shirt. Just pop that straight back into my head. <laughs> oh, it's some quality merchandise talk there. So I'm I'm happy with how that turned out, considering I I had nothing planned. All right, let's head over and check out SmackDown then. All right. This week, one of the greatest men I've ever known, Robert James Morella passed away at age 62. He was celebrated and beloved worldwide as legendary superstar Gorilla Monsoon. To his friends, he was known simply as Gino. Gino had a gorilla-sized passion for life, this business, and more importantly, the people in it. Behind the scenes, he was a cornerstone in the World Wrestling Federation Thoughts and prayers go out to his wife Maureen and his entire family. With great sadness and heavy hearts, we say goodbye to Gino, a very special man who lived a very special life. As you would have heard there, SmackDown opened up with a tribute to Gorilla Monsoon, who just passed away this week. Um, I neglected to mention, uh, Mike Tanay did also say some nice things about Gorilla Monsoon on Thunder, so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. And our commentary team are Jerry Lawler and Michael Cole. We actually get started with a really good match here. Kane and X-Pac versus Viscera and Midian, or what I consider to be a really good match. I think I'm probably just biased because I love the Kane and X-Pac team, but to me, like some of the drug the direct we watched on thunder and we were opening with kane and x-park i was really pumped um 
X-Pac starts with a flying clothesline and his kick combo on Viscera before Viscera hits a Samoan drop on X-Pac, which could legitimately kill him, the size difference there for a two-count. X-Pac hits a Enziguri, and he refuses to tag. He's not wanting Kane to come in and save him, so Kane blind tags. Um, hits a drop kick to Viscera, which is very impressive, and then a choke slam on Midian for the 1-2-3. X-Pac's really annoyed here after the match, but he's got no time to debate because the Acolytes come out and attack, and they hit double-team moves on both. Um, and just a little side note here, I love in this era how Farouk just bounces back over the top rope to exit the ring. Um, but yeah, good segment for the first match here. What did you think, Duncan? It's cool as ice, isn't he, Farouk? It, this is it's too short to mean anything or do any harm in the ring. It's all about the storyline of X-Pac still feeling kind of... Uh, like uh, I don't know the word for it. Um, offended by Undertaker's comments about him being the weak link. You know he started the match in the ring after he did his flying clothesline. King was asking, "What do you call it? A tremendous maneuver?" <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, APA's double teams are always good as well. So it's uh, interesting to see them come back out do you know about the the match that they're leading up to here it's a bit strange um is this is this the one where it's the four like the fatal four-way where they're all singles guys yeah yeah so like it's a gonna be a four corner i think it's an elimination match at no mercy and i i don't really get fully what they're going for here i think that it's they're trying to fit it in with x-pac being an asset by himself and knowing like where they head towards the end of this year um some friction between x-park and kane while the acolytes remain a joint force i I guess i don't know it's hard to say whether or not they knew what was coming up later but if so then that certainly makes sense to be heading in that direction you yeah you'd have to feel at some point down the line that would happen i don't know how concrete of an idea they had as to when this would be a thing but you look at a, like a mismatch tag team you rarely reckon that they'll be in it for the long haul this was a, considering who they were facing in this match this was a, an offensive segment then we go to Kevin Kelly with The Rock, who cuts a promo on the British Bulldog and Val Venus, who he'll face later on. Um, I won't try and recap The Rock here. I'll just splice a little bit of it in for everybody. Rock says this, 10 days, no mercy. The Rock British Bulldog is going to whip your candy ass. And there is two things you could do about it, nothing and like it. So The Rock says this, there is a more pressing issue, hold the mic up, Jabroni, there is a more pressing issue at hand, and that issue, there is a Jabroni running around the WWF, The Rock's home, with a sock with The Rock's face on it, stuffed in his crotch. Val Venus, you think that you impress The Rock? You stuff the sock, Rocco, whatever you call it, in your pants? That is like blowing your nose on the Constitution, wiping your ass with the American flag. The Rock says this, you think you impress the great one? Why? Because you've made a couple of Kumsi Kumsa adult movies? Well, The Rock says this, tonight, The Rock is going to play movie director. He's going to let you see firsthand the unedited, uncut version of The Rock laying a smack down on your candy ass. 
Well, Rock, certainly I know that. Uh -uh, whoa, 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 whoa. If you shut your mouth and listen, shh, because they are chanting The Rock's name. Then we my go out to a commercial bit. break. Sorry, go on, Duncan. My what do you think about the my favourite bit here? Yeah, he calls Bulldog a blemish on the rock's buttocks. <laughs> yeah, typical, usual good rock here in late '99. <laughs> totally. We then actually go to the other half of the Rock and Sock connection, Mankind with Lillian Garcia, and he's going to face the Bulldog later. Um, in Mankind's words, since the Rock's fighting his battles, he'll fight the Rocks. Um, and this is a decent little promo by Mankind as well. He, he was pretty good here. Yeah, bringing out the dozens and dozens line again. It's always good for a laugh. Before that, we were like running down the lineup for the show. So Cole promised that Shane McMahon had an update on Stephanie after Bulldog's incident at Rebellion, which we'll get into a, a tiny bit later on. Um, Road Dog and Bob Holly are going to wrestle, and Jeff Jarrett has sponsored a mud wrestling match. And the the best bit of this here, they promote. Stone Cold sets his sight on Triple H, and they even have a full match graphic with a target over Triple H's render and everything. Oh, just lovely, lovely stuff. There's also a, a room backstage with a sign reading, Warning, Poisonous Snakes! Yeah, and we, we see quite a, a lot of different snakes in the boxes um, in that room as the night goes on as well. <laughs> We then go to Road Dog um, taking on Hardcore Holly. Um, we've got here, oh, sorry, um, the cameraman finds the one man who's not singing along with the Road Dog during the entrance, so not his best moment of production there. Um, they just zoom in on the guy looking totally pissed off about Road Dog's entrance. Oh, dear. <laughs> Road Dog gets a backdrop, and Hardcore Holly hits his beautiful drop kick, followed by a power slam for two. Um, Jerry Lawler's talking all about the mud wrestling match that you spoke about here. Um, and, of course, when we talk about women, Jerry Lawler's got a few wisecracks. So he asks Michael Cole, are you happily married? And when Michael Cole says, of course, Jerry Lawler says, well, your wife's not. Oh, boy. <laughs> Road Dog hits a small package for a two before the Hollies double team and cheat a little bit. Um, hardcore Holly hits a flying nothing to eat the boot of the Road Dog, who comes with a shake, rattle and roll, the shaky knee and the spinning like back rope attack. Crash comes in and Billy Gunn grabs him, but this allows Hardcore Holly to hit, hook up the Falcon Arrow for the one, two, three before the Outlaws clean house of the Hollies to get their heat back. Right, so... First thing here, Crash's tights say Hardcore Holly on them, which is a bit <laughs> stupid. He's just loading them. He's not a full wrestler yet. <laughs> Secondly, this to me sounds like a typical, from the Nassau Coliseum, and this is a pretty typical Long Island crowd for me. They were really, really hyped up for Road Dog's entrance, and then when the match happened, they sat on their hands. Yeah, not the um, not the hottest crowd in the world for this one, unfortunately. There's like, it's jarring, contrasting it to the total opposite end of the scale we had on Thunder, where they just filled in everything they possibly could. Whereas here on SmackDown, you had big stretches of silence, basically, and it was. Ugh. The one fun part about this match was 
Bob poking fun at the crotch chops to get uh, Crash a chance to interfere. But I thought this was a totally listless match, really. Um, I'm sure I would have forgotten most of this if I wasn't recording the podcast for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big road dog, Mark, so I didn't mind it. And I actually quite like Hardcore Holly as well. So, um, But yeah, it was, it was just your typical smackdown mid-card match but for me like it kept it kept moving especially with the outside interference and it didn't outstay its welcome and i really like both guys so um maybe i'm a little bit nicer on it than you are i think this is where the familiarity of the characters and knowing their dynamic really helps because if you'd have like from an in-ring standpoint if you'd have thrown this thing on thunder it would have sunk like a stone like the quality of wrestling here is really similar to the shite that we got on the other end of the show, but because you get a sense of the dynamic of the guys and how their move sets work with each other, it's it's a lot more tolerable, but still shit in my book. Think- Sorry. No, that's fair. I think the sense of urgency that there's a tag title feud involved as well does help it a little bit but yeah I, I don't totally disagree i think if this was thrown on thunder i'd be writing abuse about it yeah um now what i didn't give a free pass to was this next uh, segment mark henry in sex uh, therapy and we revealed that he first had sex at eight years of old and it was with his sister and when asked when the last time he had sex with his sister was he said two day- days ago this is fucking rough like whoever wrote this for him should be ashamed of themselves. Like, Mark Henry should be allowed to just walk up to that person and punch some fair fucks in the face anytime he likes. It's it's terrible, isn't it? Like, they've, they've got him... The therapist is naturally a, a woman as well, and they've got him flirting with her because, you know, he's an addict and stuff. And it, why would you want this on television? What, what in your right mind do you think this will achieve? I think, like, you know, I, I obviously was a big wrestling fan back here, but I wasn't able to watch every show week to week, as we've talked about numerous times on the podcast. And I think I always tended to think that the stories of trying to get him to quit were a little bit overblown. This smacks of giving him the script and hoping he walks out the door, doesn't it? Gosh, yeah. Well, like, so, okay, so, 90... 96 he signed he's got a 10 year deal he's three years in yeah yeah okay yeah and whoever wrote this um obviously we don't know they are now the recipient of the dick move of the week yeah i'm all for that moral of the story here is um, don't sign people to 10 year contracts i guess absolutely absolutely and don't be a dick with your booking when you get pissy about the athlete's progress as well. Yeah, this just this reminds me a lot of um, like when we talk about trying to force someone to walk out of the ridiculousness of like the expectations of loyalty in football, where you know players are supposed to want to stay at the club and you know drown in mediocrity and not want to leave because you support them but you know your team inexplicably buys players from lower on in the division every year and you don't complain about those players oh shit don't get me started on loyalty in football right now there was a (laughs) there's a headline on the back page of the paper um a couple of weeks back when i was walking through the supermarket or whatever and 
Uh, United had just won something in the Champions League. It was after Ole had been sacked, and they were like, "This is for Ole," and that was the headline of the, of the article. I'm like, well, you probably should have been playing for Ole a bit more when <laughs> Ole was actually your manager, and then maybe he would have still been manager. But maybe that's just me. At the risk of every United fan that listens to this show immediately turning off, God, I miss Ollie. <laughs> Ollie at the wheel. Oh, it's, it was a, it was a hell of a ride, and I would have bought a ticket for round two. That's all I'm saying about Ollie's <laughs> time at Man United. <laughs> oh, I'm a happy, cheery boy. As my Manchester City <laughs> went top of the table again last night. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, having an uh, alumnus diving over their head and being put in a position of power when they're not ready for it. It's a very Liverpool move, I think. <laughs> Agree completely. Um, our next segment is Jeff Jarrett coming out to the mud ring, um, but he's just cutting a promo about the match later. It's not time for the match, and he tells us it's going to be Miss Kitty in the match. She's not very happy with this, but what can she do? Um we then go to Terry Taylor, who is with the British Bulldog. And before we can really cut a promo, Mankind comes in and a brawl ensues before we go out to commercial. So, the Jarek segment really annoyed me. Like, what's the point of him coming out now and explaining this match? Um, especially, it's, it's not. there's not very many segments that follow this as well. They could have just had him out there once and just get this all done in one. I liked his like waterproof overalls, and I also liked uh, the fact that SmackDown was sponsored by Dino Crisis. But then, like, he he's got the No Mercy promo syndrome at the end, where he promises at No Mercy he'll show China No Mercy. Ah, <laughs> oh, one of my favourite things is I just love how you know the thought of them having to do it for every single pay per view. <laughs> when you get in the ring with me, there will be no way out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you could do it for everything you really could this Sunday at pay-per-view I will not show you TLC <laughs> there will be no tables ladders or chairs on display oh god it's uh, it's as good as the uh, 30 man drinking game for the Royal Rumble in the early 90s oh yeah um, we see the snakes in the room again, and then we go to our next matchup, which is a tornado tag: Edge and Christian versus the Hardys, continuing on in the Terry Invitational Tournament. Edge and Christian are currently up two to nothing. Yeah, and it's probably prompted by that that Terry came out, and she's like, "Okay, I'm going to shake things up a bit," and she makes the Texas tornado rules that you mentioned, and closes by saying, "May the best team win." Me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, look, I'm, I'm going to be very forgiving on this because of where it heads, but um, yeah, it's very suggestive, isn't it? <laughs> yes, very. We get some backdrops from Edge and Christian and their version of the poetry in motion um, instead of being the leg lariat. It's the, it's the crossbody. We get a flapjack before Matt Hardy hits a DDT on the floor. Um, it's a top rope clothesline, and then the Hardys do their version of poetry in motion and a double suplex. Edge hits a clothesline, and Christian hits um, double reverse DDTs on the Hardys. Edge with a spear for a two before Edge and Christian hit the stack-up superplex before Jeff Hardy then comes off the top with a swanton bomb to pick up the one, two, three in a quick but really entertaining tornado tag match. 
bloody loved it. Yeah, much more like it. Just as Terry promised, these rules shook things up a bit, so it differentiated the, the last match where we saw them. The constant double teams made for a really entertaining match. Um, it threatened to lose a bit of steam when Christian had a pretty plain comeback, but then it picked up again around about the double suplex counter. This was nice. The only weak spot here was from a production standpoint when the camera missed Jeff's uh, rail run clothesline off the barricade to Christian. Yeah, yeah, not the not the brightest production spot. It is hard with a tornado tag, I guess. So I'll be a little a little forgiving on them, but not too much. Yeah, not too much. I don't think they're really at their best from a production standpoint tonight at all. Nope. Um, we then see the fake porn star pull a sock out of his crutch. AKA <laughs> 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 Valvian is pulling out Mr. Rocco backstage before we go to a commercial. This is so stupid. He he unzips his fly and he lets it hang out like it's a penis. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett then introduces Ivory, the women's champion, out to the mud ring, and she proves to be a gullible fool because obviously he throws her in to get in the match against Miss Kitty. Um, it's then Kitty versus <laughs> Ivory. Ivory wins pretty early by ripping Kitty's top and bra off, um, but the camera work manages to stop her being exposed. Muller and May come out, and Jarrett puts both of them in and then stupidly backs up up the stairs celebrating and ignores the crowd reaction of China coming out. Who kicks Jeff Jarrett in? Lots to absorb here. Um, first of all, Jarrett has upgraded his outfit from earlier and found a raincoat and gloves. Next thing I thought about was uh, Miss Kitty obviously doing a favour for Man City fan Lee here with her sky blue bikini. <laughs> Some of Jarrett's comments here. He's just, I think he stayed on the microphone the whole match and he's just randomly injecting. He's like, Murd, the lowest thing on earth besides women. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, just in case it wasn't clear, the rules of this match were the first lady to take her opponent's top, won the match. Um, and like you say, production did a lot to protect Kitty, but they also uh, only took her top off when she was um, uh, what's the word? totally submerged in mud, so there's less of a chance to see anything, even though why would they try and book this well, I mean one full stop, but two on WWE's more family friendly rated show yeah, I'm not really sure, I think it's hard to say, but you know, knowing what happens with Kitty in the in the last pay per view of the year, I just wonder if they were just testing the water for how far she'd go. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure that I get that they're like going after this not edge lord, but you know, like like the the, the Randy T market or whatever. As tasteless as it is, it's just like time and place felt a bit wrong. Oh, definitely, definitely. A couple of other things. So, when Jerry got Moolah and May in the mud, he was uh, his comment here caught my attention. It's like poetic justice. 
Two old fat sows wallowing in the mud. <laughs> I thought China had a lovely hairdo as well. And <laughs> that's a positive. Yeah. And I know you talk really highly on uh, Jarrett's TNA theme, but part of me is going to miss his theme song here um, when he goes. Like, there's a. It's just like the little like country guitar thing, but there's there's a little segment where it goes like oh yeah I love that. Don't miss it too much. I think Deborah's going to inherit it for a while. She will, but I don't think they'll have a hell of a lot for her to do. That is true. Um, yeah, I just the, the one that springs to mind is that um, oh, it's one of the pay per views in two thousand when she comes out to ring it out, and it's just terrible. Yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> she took like a hiatus for something, and that was her first appearance back from her hiatus. And I don't want to speak ill. I'm not sure if this is totally accurate, but the rumor I heard was that there was some kind of uh, alcohol abuse problems and that's why her announcing was less than Stella and that's why you don't see her again until she's Mick Foley's assistant commissioner that would make a lot of sense if you've seen that (laughs) (laughs) pay-per-view we then go to the best part of any Thunder or any Smackdown all year and it's the recap of of the um, was it Rebellion incident with the British Bulldog Um, Yes! <laughs> I just, love this. I popped so huge. The bulldog is just demanding what he needs, what he what he believes he is entitled to, what we all think he's entitled to, and that's his title shot. Dave, you want to do this? Yeah, now. Where's my title shot? Where's my title shot? The people come in next to me on the pay to wrestle. Where's my title shot? You had your title shot. What do you call that a title shot? Look, The Rock was the referee when you had your time. You put The Rock as the referee, not me. Then you calm down. Bro. No, calm down. Hey, hey! Right, so let, let me run down this segment here then. So, first off, um, it's based around Michael Hayes, he's with Shane McMahon, in quote-unquote the Connecticut Medical Facility, which in reality is probably some room backstage. <laughs> the replay is just fucking gold. It's like, where's my title shot? You call that a title shot? I'm not gonna calm down. You you had your title shot. <laughs> <laughs> you call that a title shot? Oh, just absolute comedy gold. Oh my god. On Raw, Bully kind of doubles down and he blames Vince for the situation, saying. I would never put my daughter backstage with wrestlers. It's fair. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he should fucking know, shouldn't he? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, oh. Test reveals Stephanie has post-concussion syndrome and doesn't even recognise him and the fucking state of Michael Hayes' T-shirt. Oh, I didn't catch it. What's he wearing? Oh, Jesus. It's you know, typical Michael Hayes style. Like, um, you know, like when he was teaming with the Hardys and stuff, I think it it just drove me mad. <laughs> Love it. Um, I will, I'll definitely splice this here for everybody as well. This would be a good 
opportunity to signal boost as well. We, um, but the reason it's been so long since we recorded last was we were looking into having Rebellion go head-to-head against the episode of WCW Saturday Night that aired on the same night. It was October 2nd, 1999. We've not been able to track it down. If anybody listening has a rip of that episode of Saturday Night, please, please, please get in touch because I'm sure it's come across here. Lee and myself love this Bulldog angle and any excuse to get into that and... It's to see how Saturday Night is comparing to Thunder would be marvellous. Yeah, I'd love to take a little detour and see the Bulldog in England. From there, we go to our next matchup, which is a British Bulldog taking on Mankind. Um, we get a slugfest to start and an outside brawl. Uh, a sick chair shot from the Bulldog to the head of Mankind. Um Bulldog hits a knee lift and a low blow before Mankind comes back with a double arm DDT and then the referee bumps, the bell rings, they brawl through the crowd and yeah, that's just the end of the segment so I'm not really sure what the decision was there. And yeah, I've got the I've got a question mark in the in the winner column for this. It was a fair brawl. The chinlock spot was the only real downtime here. They should have just called it a DQ when Bulldog attacked with the chair first thing. Like, that didn't make sense to me. Yeah, no, just more of an angle than a match, but, you know, still nice to see the Bulldog getting some shine. Yeah, totally. Talk about the angle here. Um, Cole's putting over that Mankind is doing this for The Rock. Young Rikishi is taking notes. (laughs) I do love that. Um, we then go to JR and Stone Cold hunting. Um, Austin's getting his, you know, his shot in so that he can kill Triple H seemingly here. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. Austin's in that camo tracksuit of his and he's shooting a rifle at a pumpkin that has a picture of Triple H on it. Yeah, I know if I was going to go to war with someone like in a, in a, in a fight, I'd want to go and shoot a gun at still objects to prepare for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! He yeah, he, he's trying to show that he's a, a hunter because he he's fighting a man named Hunter. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, we then see Triple H going into the room with all the snakes um, and head on to our next match, which is the Big Show taking on the Big Boss Man, and we find out Jerry Lawler's left the commentary booth to go and check on Miss Kitty. Yes. Um... So, okay, final closing things on that Austin segment for me. The audio quality was terrible. He uh, goes into No Mercy promo syndrome, and the only interesting line he had was, when I think of games, I think of tiddlywinks and bullshit like that. (laughs) Yeah, this, this wasn't Austin at his best for me. Totally not, no. Um... Yeah, this next match, did you pick up on the context of this, Lee? No. So, you mentioned Cole making excuses for Lawler already. Um, if you look at the aprons and stuff, it's just the, it's got the, uh, the Sunday Night Heat WWF logo in the rafters, 
Um, it's got WWF Attitude on the Minitron and not the SmackDown logo, and all the ring aprons are for Heat as well. So this was blatantly recorded for Heat. Um, Michael Cole is doing commentary on himself, probably because they couldn't bring Jerry Lawler back in to do the the play-by-play and re-record stuff. And the big one for me is Cole early on mentions Droz was injured quote-unquote earlier this week and he sends him his well wishes. So part of me wonders if this is the show where Droz was injured and they've kind of promoted a match from Heat to to make up the television time. That makes perfect sense now. I did not spot that. Eagle Eye Duncan to the rescue. Yeah, so it's it's a bit unnerving, but, you know, what else could they do? There's no way that you could allow Droz's situation to air. No, no, definitely the right choice to put anything on other than that. Um, when the match gets started, we have a sidekick from Big Show before the boss man crotches him on the top rope and hits a pair of clotheslines. Boss man very impressively hits his boss man slam for a two count, um, but when that doesn't pick up the win, he gets himself disqualified, nailing the Big Show with some nightstick shots, who powers on through to hit a choke slam to end the segment. Fine for what it was. The boss man slam popped me as well. Little wasted time here, and boss man got his come up and after the DQ and it was pretty funny. Yeah, good. We then go to backstage where we see one of the fakest things on either show, um, Triple H, uh, puts a snake in the bag. <coughs> puts a snake into a bag, sorry. Has a sledgehammer and beats the bag with the sledgehammer, which causes absolutely zero blood to protrude from the bag but then he comes out on the stage with the bloodiest bag you've ever seen in your life how bad did this look duncan it's terrible isn't it like and he wasn't even like his sledgehammer attacks he was hitting the ground around the burlap sack and none of the burlap sack itself this is another thing the the segment in this show was just totally strange like triple h they cut immediately from triple h being backstage beating up this snake and then all of a sudden he's coming out to the ring with said snake apparently it was just stupid um this whole um feud is just not it's leaving a lot to be desired for me i know yeah like Triple H's first clear run at the big time, he's in there with Austin, like the number two guy behind The Rock at this point, arguably. Maybe even number one still in some people's eyes. And what the hell? This is all way too hulky for something that could be like a, a good legitimate fight. Yeah, but a big part of me wonders here if A, Austin's injury is playing up and they're hiding it, or B, he just doesn't really want to work with Triple H and that's why they're doing this shit. There's probably a mix of the two in there, yeah. Austin's not wrestled since SummerSlam. Mm. Where he wouldn't put over Triple H, by the way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, we then are backstage where we see Mankind jump Val Venus before the Bulldog comes in, um, gets a bit of a beat down on his lay on the floor as The Rock comes out, um, walks past him, and Foley, in a classic line, says, win one for the Mika. <laughs> the Rock here 
Who the hell is the Micah, as Michael Cole calls him a goof to end the segment? <laughs> Love that line. <laughs> we should point out here, Mankind was interrupting a promo from Val Venus, uh, which Terry Taylor was giving. He was initially trying to grab an interview with Triple H, and uh, then gives up when he spots Val. And Val spotted Triple H and looked pretty impressed with the size of Triple H's snake. <laughs> Yep. What did you make of Val's promo here? Um, I don't know. Like, I think I just don't buy Val Venus as a main event guy, and I think putting him in with Mankind and The Rock just isn't going to change my mind on that. Do you think I'm being too harsh? Or no, I totally get that. Like, they're they're kind of like straightening him out here with a bit more of a serious tone in his promos, even though he's got like lines like uh, The Rock should be happy with the extra exposure he gets from Val wearing Rocco. But it's just weird seeing him like cut a what was a really serious promo here. And I'm like you, Lee. Something's missing. I don't buy him. No, I think they've tried to rush him from you know, lower mid-card comedy act straight into the main event. And it's not the only, like, instance of them doing this this year where they just don't... that They, they want to skip steps. Like, they did it with Billy Gunn, didn't they? And, and The Rock just sent him straight back down to mid-card hell. They need to get them some real momentum fighting guys at their level or slightly above their level before they get thrown in with Stone Cold and The Rock. And, yeah, I, I just... They just want to rush, and it's not going to work with any of these guys. Yeah, I... Um... Uh, my memory of this period is well, it's non-existent because I didn't <laughs> I didn't live through it as a fan. But um, my understanding of this period, um, from what I can tell, it doesn't work. Not at all. But we go to Val Venus in the main event, nonetheless. It's at Val against the Rock. Um, the Rock hits a suplex, and we brawl on the outside for quite a while. Um, Val Venus comes back um, with a spine buster, but The Rock hits his, um, his face buster and a fisherman suplex for a two. Um, we get a DDT for a two before Val hits a power slam for a two of his own. Mick Foley comes out and he accidentally hits a rock with a chair, which allows Val to pick up a two. He locks a mandible claw on Val Venus before The Rock hits a rock bottom on both of them and picks up the one, two, three, and The Rock and Sock Connection argue as we go off the air. The um the Mankind accidental chair shot on The Rock came across a bit hokey. It wasn't especially well executed either. Um, but that's your main event, Duncan. What did you think? You could kind of see it coming a little bit, couldn't you? Um, Cole screaming at the end of this about the rock and soccer exploding the rock and soccer exploding shut up yeah it, they've not been together long enough and the rock hasn't really accepted mankind for that to be genuine at all no um, Chimmel snuck this one in there this was an ODQ match um, I liked there was a, a sign in the crowd that was a literal Rudy Poo candy ass I did see that. That was class. <laughs> it, was, it was like a, a plastic pair of buttocks with uh, some chocolate bars stuck to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, lots of this was a brawl in the crowd. Val's back got absolutely filthy going over the barricade at one point. Uh, there's a decent moment where 
Rock took over Cole's job on commentary and then invited Val Venus to do the same and just beat him up. Um, I thought overall it was a reasonable match. It started out very one-sided. It grew on me the more that Val got the shine in the match. Uh, They actually got time to get a variety of stuff in there, including um, the fun at the commentary table and pretty good back and forth down the line. When I was making notes of this, I just put, like, match number whatever, and I didn't realise this was going to be the main event because I didn't think they'd get all this time. Yeah, it was, um, again, like, I just... As I said, I don't really buy Val Venus in this spot, so it didn't it didn't rock my socks. But I mean, it was okay. Val Val is a good wrestler. Like, don't get me wrong. I just think he needed probably, you know, a decent length of time away from the porn star gimmick before you could buy him in there with Mankind or The Rock. Yeah. But that'll do it for the two shows. Um, that's both of them watched. Um, you can probably tell by the um, by the tones of our voice <laughs> which ones we preferred, but we're going to go and rank it anyway. Are you ready to do this, Duncan? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Which show do you think featured the better characters? <laughs> Smackdown. Um, it's practically all of uh, WWF's headline folks were here from the... Um, it's like sloppy seconds. They had Sid. <laughs> they had uh, Sid, yeah. Um, yeah. They had Brett, Sid, Goldberg, Hogan. No. <sighs> Just you think about the, the opening for WCW, and they have all the stars on the on the Hollywood sign. How many of those do you think are going to be on the on the show? Yeah, it is. Um... It's atrocious. It's so bad. It's dire. Um, what about storylines? Who do you think had the best storylines on the night? Um, like some of the stuff in the WWF, I wasn't overly impressed with. Um, but at least they were definable storylines. WCW just seemed to mostly move from match to match. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I might not love all of the stories going on, but everything had a story, whereas WCW, at least half the matches were just cold and served no purpose. Um, production value wasn't especially high for either company, so how did you rate this one? I I don't even want to call it a draw. I just don't want to give anybody credit this week just to take SmackDown down a peg because they were shit, and Thunder's almost always shit so no no point scored no point no i can live with that you know i thought smackdown was you know especially bad by its own high standards so i can definitely live with that um crowd heat i 100 percent went with smackdown because they were real and they existed how did you fare i i have my misgivings about them sitting on their hands during the actual wrestling but at least they popped for people at some points and like you say, they weren't a cassette tape. Yep, so that's a pretty easy win. And then match quality, um, despite enjoying Dean and Blitzkrieg and the Filthy Animals match, I um I still went with SmackDown. I just felt as though the the matches all served a purpose and you know were inoffensive and quick and had star power. So, you know, that swayed me. But how did you, how did you fall on that side of it? 
Yeah, this was a difficult one for me. Um, Blitzkrieg and Malenko was the best match across both shows, but the Hardys and Edge and Christian was of a similar quality over on SmackDown. And then um, looking over the supporting matches for this, um, WCW had Lash LaRue and Silver King that was all right with, and uh, the Filthy Animals tag match, which was decent. But I thought SmackDown just had the edge slightly. Um, like Bulldog and Mankind um, and Big Show and Bossman was of similar quality. And then the main event was pretty fair as well. So I narrowly give this to SmackDown. Okay, so SmackDown, it's a bit of a whitewash other than the, the no points awarded category for production. Um, but I think that's a pretty fair assessment of the two shows. One of these was like, for me, this is just an average episode of SmackDown in 99, but that is perfectly fine because it was a good show that year, whereas Thunder is just diabolical. It is so bad. I can't imagine anybody reminiscing about these episodes of Thunder we're watching like we do about parts of these episodes of SmackDown. No, I had totally no influence on the on the wrestling industry, really. So that's a, a whitewash, and that's a wrap for this episode. I, um, I definitely enjoyed watching SmackDown and keeping going there. I didn't enjoy watching Thunder, but it's part of the process, so we've got to do it. <laughs> um, what have you got coming up in the works in the next uh, little while, Duncan? Yeah, our next episode is going to be Backlash 2001, just trying to arrange a date with Kyle. The first time we were trying to record, Kyle's partner actually got COVID and I got one of those super colds that completely knocked me out. So it was never going to work. And then we've just been a bit too busy since then. But that should be down the pipeline, hopefully before the year end. Um, And like I mentioned, I did my blog on going to see WWE live in Manchester, you can head over to ayatollahrockandroller.blogspot.com to check that out. I'm looking forward to that show, actually. I um, have a soft spot for the two-man power trip versus the Brothers of Destruction uh, storyline. I was really hopeful that Babyface Undertaker was going to get another title run in 2001. It was not to be, but um, yeah, I, I think it's not as fondly remembered by most people, but I genuinely really enjoyed that that time in wrestling. And as I've mentioned many times on the show before, 2001 was when I first got pay TV and I ordered every pay-per-view that year. So definitely looking forward to hearing you guys break that one down. No, it's a big sentimental favorite to me. So I'm just trying to make sure that we get it done right. Excellent, excellent. Well, I've got a couple of solo episodes and Richie and I are due to catch up sometime in the next um, little while as well. So I will um, hopefully have a few episodes before the year's out, this one included. Um, But yeah, as always, thanks everyone for listening. If you do have that episode of WCW Saturday Night, get in touch with Duncan or myself and enjoy. um, Have a happy Christmas if we don't speak to you beforehand. Yeah, have a good one, everyone.